Today's story is a Vikram Betal story. It's about a security guard who charges a little extra, but he's worth every pesa. Also, mystical doomsday predictions and people acting rashly. Welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast that will take you on a journey through the rich mythology, folklore and history of the Indian subcontinent. I am Narad Muni, the celestial storyteller and the original Time Lord. With my ability to travel through space and time, I can bring you fascinating stories from the past, the present and the future. From the epic tales of the Mahabharat and Ramayana to the folk tales of the Panchatantra to stories of Akbar Birbal and Tenali Ravand, I have a story for every occasion. The purpose of the stories is neither to pass judgment nor to indoctrinate. My goal is only to share these stories with people who may not have heard them before and to make them more entertaining for those who have. Today, we are back to Vikram and Betal. We have covered a number of Vikram and Betal stories before, and we have also covered some of the Singhasan Bhattisi. Though that does not feature the Betal, it does feature Vikram and his throne, and it has a similar framework. You can find links to both of these in the show notes. But if you haven't heard them, nothing to worry about. Because like many episodes on this show, this one too stands alone. The only context you need is the framing narrative. And I'll give you a quick summary of that now. Vikramaditya was a pretty well-known and well-respected king. His people appreciated him by giving him gifts. You might wonder what kind of gifts a common person might give their rich king. If you were thinking along those lines, you might be surprised. One of them was a rishi or a wise man. Normally, to rishis, their knowledge is their wealth. But maybe not to this one. Because this rishi gave Vikramaditya a mango every day. Vic didn't really think much of it until one day he accidentally discovered that each of those mangoes contained a massive and valuable gem inside. Naturally, Vic felt obligated to pay the rishi back somehow. And that's precisely what the rishi wanted. He explained to the king that he needed his help to complete a special prayer. The one missing ingredient was a betal. In case you haven't heard the term before, a betal is a reanimated corpse. Some members of the British Raj loosely translated a betal to a vampire. But obviously, they had no idea 
of the full spectrum of creatures in Indian mythology. You could say that the term zombie is a bit closer, except that Betas could also talk lucidly and could fly. And they didn't just go looking for brains. All they did was mostly to hang down from trees like a bat. And they preferred people trees in a cemetery. And that's exactly where the Rishi wanted Vic to go Betal shopping. For reasons the Rishi did not disclose, Vic had to fetch the Betal from the tree in the middle of the night and all by himself. Well, Vic didn't get to where he was by being a coward. So he accepted the Rishi's request without question. Despite largely just sitting on a throne all day, he had no trouble switching to athletic mode. He climbed up the tree and grabbed the betal. But when he was making his way back to the Rishi, the betal told him a story. It was a story that had a question in the end. The kind of deep question that Vic could not resist answering. The only problem was that every time Vic opened his mouth to speak, Betal was able to escape and fly away. This happened over and over. It may seem to you that Vic wasn't learning from his experience because he wasn't keeping his mouth shut. But the Betal wasn't learning from experience either because he kept going back to exactly the same spot on the same tree. This happened 25 times. The Betal told him 25 stories and always with the same outcome. We've covered a number of those stories before. Today's story begins exactly the same way as the others, with Wick walking across the cemetery with the Betal on his back. The Betal normally would have remarked something about the weather. But so many times in, they were both past such icebreakers. And so, the Betal launched straight away into the story. Long, long time ago, in a kingdom far, far away, there was a job search going on. The position was that of a security guard. This guard would be posted at the city gates. There were other guards at the city gates, and the city seemed to be doing just fine, despite the vacancy. So it shouldn't have been such a big deal. But the king, Rupsain, put an extraordinary amount of personal effort in his attempts to fill this position. His minister noticed this and tried to put a stop to it. He tried to hint that there were boxes of paperwork that were waiting for him. Rupsain had so many things to do. Raising taxes on the poor, playing golf, having some people executed for frivolous reasons. But Rupsain wasn't interested in mundane things like that. 
he insisted on personally reviewing each resume and conducting each interview. I'm afraid you've gone mad with power, Your Highness, the minister told him. Of course, the king replied. Have you tried going mad without power? No one listens to you and they force you into a white padded cell. Which was a fair point. So the minister accepted it and handed him the next packet of resumes. Rupsain read each one and tossed them everywhere with his evaluation of those candidates. Addicted to sports, doesn't have a moustache, has a beard. This one's kurta is too short. And this one is allergic to shiny marble floors. And this one has too many pets at home. The minister thanked his lucky stars that he had come into his current position through nepotism rather than having to beat this king's resume scrutiny. Another resume stack was gone. But when the minister went to throw out the box, he found one in the box that he must have missed. He was going to quietly throw this one away, except the king saw him. The king read this resume a lot more favorably than the others. Hmm, not bad. He can deadlift a chariot, horses included. He's won three Olympic gold medals for running, the javelin, and wrestling. I guess he doesn't meet our minimum threshold of four Olympic golds. But I'm in a generous mood today. Bring in this guy. All the candidates were waiting outside. The minister ushered in Ram Prasad, Dasharat Prasad, Sharma and dismissed everyone else. But at least the rest got a participation certificate for all the waiting they had to do. Inside, Rupsain looked skeptically at his only candidate. You don't look seven feet tall. I am seven feet tall, Your Majesty, Ram Prasad replied. This being ancient India, there's no universal standard for measuring a foot. Indeed, according to my little son, I'm ten feet tall. So I asked everyone I know what they thought my height was, and I just averaged it. Well, well. At least you're data-driven. That's good. Now, what salary are you expecting? A hundred gold coins, Your Majesty. The king was astonished. And that was even before Ram Prasad added, Every month. He expected a hundred gold coins every month. Rupsain agreed in a clear demonstration of how arbitrary decision-making was in ancient Indian kingdoms. And because the position allowed him a salary advance, Ram Prasad Dasharat Prasad Sharma walked out with a bag full of coins before he had guarded the city gates for even a single minute. The minister, who had just finished picking up his jaw 
of the floor, humbly requested that the king should consider him for the post. The minister would no longer get to work in the palace and he would have to work nights. But to offset that, he'd have a massive pay raise. But the king refused flat out. I'm just testing him out. We have a fire at will clause in our employment contract. I only agreed because I wanted to see what he's going to do with the money. Now, bring me my secret disguise, won't you? No, no, not the Batman one. That is strictly for international trips. Bring me the poor beggar one. I'm going to follow our new security guard. So the king did. Even if Ram Prasad Dasharat Prasad Sharma wasn't actually seven feet tall, he was taller than average. So it was easy for the disguised king to spot him in the crowd. The new security guard went to a temple first, where he donated half his earnings. Then he donated various amounts of what was remaining to various charities. The Give Foundation, the Care Foundation, Child Rights and You. He was left with a small fraction of what he started with. And that was only four gold coins. And he used those to feed his family. The king thought that this was pretty clever of Ram Prasad. By donating to all those charities and to the temple, he had guaranteed his family a hefty tax deduction. The king went away satisfied for now. Nothing much happened for a few weeks. Roop Sain, though, continued to spy on the guard. He wanted to make sure that he was getting his money's worth. The king had come to the conclusion that Ram Prasad Dasharat Prasad Sharma was a capable guard. Every night, he paced back and forth at the city gates. He checked the locks every hour. He checked the walls for any grappling hooks. He would also have tested the intruder detection infrared beams, if they'd been there. And as far as the king knew, no houses were getting burgled. No foreign spies were sneaking in to steal secret documents. At least, none that he knew about. But at the same time, there wasn't anything extra or special that the guard was contributing. So, Rupsain made up his mind to give Ram Prasad a pay cut the next day. Or to dismiss him from service. He wasn't sure yet. Maybe he'd flip a coin in the morning. For now, Rupsain wanted to go back to bed. All the secret stakeout had left him tired. He hoped to get at least a couple of hours of sleep before his administrative duties the next day. But just when he was about to turn back towards the palace, there was a crying sound. Ram Prasad had heard it too, and he dashed to the source. 
it was a richly dressed lady who had a sort of aura about her. She wasn't a normal human being, definitely, because she was also in a chariot that was hovering above the ground. And she was crying. Ram Prasad asked her why. And the lady replied that she was the goddess of luck. And she was crying because the king of the land, Rupsain, was going to pass away in a month. Ram Prasad was shocked. And so was Rupsain. He had followed his guard and was now observing them from behind a tree. Ram Prasad was a little skeptical. He asked to see the goddess's identity card and her driving license and registration for her flying chariot. He also made sure that it was a real flying chariot and it didn't have any strings attached. Okay, I believe you now, the guard told the goddess, handing back her papers. Sorry for having doubted you. It just pays to be careful in my profession. The goddess of luck said that she completely understood. But anyway, she had better get going. She was on a tight schedule. But wait, Ram Prasad called out. Tell me, is there a way to prevent this? Why, yes, the goddess replied. But the only way to do it is if you push your son into a bottomless abyss. If you do that, and if he goes willingly, Rupsain will live a very long life. Don't ask me why. I don't make these rules. I just enforce them. Now, I really, really have to go. I've got three more kingdoms to visit before dawn. The goddess zoomed away in her chariot. And Ram Prasad was left contemplating the terrible choice he had to make. At the end of his shift, he went home with a very heavy heart. Rupsain followed him, of course. He observed from the open window as Ram Prasad explained to his family that they had to go right now. They were making a trip to the nearby bottomless pit in the middle of the forest, near that abandoned temple. They called a cab to take them there. All the while, the king was following. Ram Prasad's daughter said, Papa, don't look now, but I think we are being followed. Ram Prasad said, Not to worry about it. It was just the king's spy who had been keeping an eye on him for so many weeks. Ram Prasad added that he was about to arrest the spy, but then he noticed that the spy went into the palace using the secret entrance, and he knew the secret pin code, which meant he was probably in the king's inner circle or something. So they ignored Rupsain, not realizing that he was, in fact, the king. When they got to the pit, Ram Prasad explained what he had heard from the goddess. His wife and daughter 
thought that was crazy. He couldn't be seriously considering pushing his son into this pit. Well, he was. And what's more, the boy agreed that yeah, for his king and country, he would gladly jump in. Before Ramprasad's wife and daughter could say much more, he pushed his happily smiling boy into the pit. The girl screamed and wailed for her brother. He had been her only friend in this world. She couldn't be separated from her dear brother. So before her parents could do anything to stop her, she jumped into the pit as well. There was no sound of either the boy or the girl reaching the bottom. So maybe it truly was bottomless. Things went from bad to worse. Ram Prasad's wife hopped in as well. She couldn't imagine a life without her children. And lastly, Ram Prasad himself. His family was everything to him. He didn't see a point in going on. At least he had the goddess's assurance that his king would live long. And that was about to be completely invalidated when the king himself got ready to jump in. He couldn't stand the thought of all these innocent lives that were sacrificed for his sake. But just as he was about to jump, the goddess intervened. She had rushed to the scene. She had been unable to stop the others, but she was in time to stop Rupsain. Rupsain was determined to follow Ram Prasad and his family into the pit unless the goddess brought them back somehow the goddess did that because she was a goddess she could in fact bring them back to life which made all the sacrifice pointless wouldn't you say the betal asked vikram vikram didn't say anything but vik the real question i have for you is this whose action was the most foolish surely it's ram prasad's daughter right because if she hadn't jumped in the others would have all been okay but vik disagreed no it's the king's action that was the most unreasonable one the boy was just doing what he thought was right his sister too ram prasad's wife made a decision based on the loss of her children ram prasad's line of reasoning was a little different from his family members he could have chosen not to jump into the pit after all family wasn't actually everything to him his actions showed that he did put his king and his kingdom above the life of his son you could argue that his earlier decision to accept what the goddess told him also showed gullibility clearly the goddess didn't need a sacrifice why not negotiate some terms with her or to find out how rupsain was going to die 
and try to prevent his death. The goddess seemed like a nice person. It was very unlikely that she would go all out in trying to have Rupsain killed, Final Destination style, if you have seen that Hollywood movie. The Vedal said that he had not heard of it. But to please continue, how was the king's action the most foolish of the lot? Vikram explained that the king had tried to jump into the pit. That wasn't a clever trick just to get the goddess to bring Ram Prasad and his family back. He actually was going to jump in. That was foolish because that would have made the family's sacrifice completely meaningless. When does it make sense for a king to endanger himself for just one of his subjects? The Betal said, I am really, really glad you brought that up, Vic. That will make our future conversation a lot simpler. Anyway, you've been speaking, so I'm off now. I'll see you in a bit, back on the tree. With that, the Betal flew off. The Betal was indeed hinting at something when he referenced their future conversation. But we won't get to that until after the 25th story. Or maybe we'll cover the end first and come back to the remaining stories. I haven't quite decided yet. Check out the links in the show notes to previous Vikram and Vethal episodes. There's also the Singhasan Bhattisi stories, which we have covered a few times. It's related to this one in the sense that there is a framing narrative and a sequence of stories told to a king, King Bhoj, who wanted to sit on a throne. But before he could, each of the 32 statues on the throne told him a story. Each of the stories was about Vikram. The other connection is that the throne belonged to Vikram. It had been a gift from Indra, the chief of the Devs, who had wanted to reward Vik. Vik has also featured in other stories that we have not yet covered on this show. Notably, one featuring a long courtship with the princess of China, which many of you have asked about, but we'll get to that in an upcoming episode. In the next episode, we'll talk about how and why Lanka was created. The story features not just Ravan, but also Shiva and Parvati, and Mayasur, whom some of you wanted to hear about. Whether it was Mayasur or Vishwakarma who should get the credit for Lanka's construction, well, we'll talk about that next week. Thank you all for the comments on social media and on Spotify's Q&A. I can't directly reply to the questions there, but I'll address them here on the show. Thanks Arush, Rez, Anikar, Vaishnavi for the feedback and suggestions. Bindu, I'll get to the story about Vikram and the Princess of China in a few weeks. If you have any other comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you'd like to hear, 
please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at sfipodcast or reply to the questions on Spotify's Q&A. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.